If you're an SEO and you're buying websites or you'd like to sell your website, we've got the perfect podcast for you. Uh, today, I've got Mike Yan on the program, Clean Air Digital owner, comes from a rich SEO background at Red Ventures and also Pillar 4 Media, where he did a lot of M&A and acquisitions. Mike is a super smart SEO I've had a ton of respect for. Uh, and over the years, also Red Ventures, they're a huge, for people who don't know, own a ton of websites uh, and are clearly intelligent about this activity. And even if you're not doing, I think there's something here just to understand how what your business might be worth or your company that you work at might be worth it. I'm hoping there's some good stuff here. So uh, excited to have you on, Mike. Thanks for having me, Ross. Excited to be here. So, I mean, I kind of very high level touched on your experience and background and M&A, but kind of to give some color for this conversation, could you go, go a little bit deeper on that in your past experience that informs this conversation? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I'd bucket my experience into probably three different areas. One is working uh, jobs with some of uh, those large media holding companies that you mentioned. I guess they could now be categorized as uh, Red Ventures from 2013 to 2019, where I was part of a lot of the due diligence teams leading a lot of SEO analysis for those acquisitions that uh, they've made over the years. And then I left Red Ventures at the end of 2019 and joined a much smaller uh, holding company called Pillar 4 Media in the beginning of 2020, when it was about 10 people or so and uh, built their M&A prospecting, due diligence, and just kind of operational process and framework there uh, to acquire a bunch of uh, large affiliate websites over the last two and a half years. And then... Uh, just recently, earlier this year, ventured out on my own, so doing my own thing now, uh, a little bit of consulting, uh, as well as working on my own personal, personal portfolio of websites. Um, for the consulting portion of that, I help uh, a lot of uh, large companies and PE firms and others do uh, M&A prospecting and due diligence to find acquisitions uh, and figure out what's a good buy and what's not. And then I, in my personal portfolio, make a couple of uh, investments per year. Um, and typically, uh, it's just me. Um, and so uh, I am pretty low, low volume, but uh, big bets on the uh, investment and acquisition side. And um, there's a you know, ton of people out there who are doing a, a, a lot of volume in terms of high, numbers or high number of acquisitions uh, per year. But uh, yeah, for me, it's really uh, just about the quality of each one and, and really I'm a small team. So uh, I really enjoy the analysis portion of it, but really that's uh, kind of my, my bread and butter and fortunate to work with a lot of really smart people over the years on biz dev and FP&A teams to learn about um, that entire process. Um, and have really kind of developed a system that works well for me for acquiring sites for myself and for clients. Nice. Uh, had to Google that finance for those not aware, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, financial planning and analysis. Teams, yes. Correct. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, that's great. It makes a ton of sense. You probably are one of the people with the most experience in this area. So excited to kind of ask a, a lot of questions about, um, things here. You mentioned doing personal deals right now. I'm sure you're talking to people. Uh, it's a unique world out there from an economy standpoint. Yeah, it is. Also, SEO, of course, uh, involving. So, like, how, what does mergers, MA, and SEO feel right now? Like, what, how would you describe the current state of affairs? 
Yeah, I'd say it's still very active despite some of maybe the more macroeconomic uh, environment that uh, we've especially been in in the, in the U.S. And, and even in the U.K. and other markets recently. Uh, investors are still really hungry to grab up digital real estate uh, and assets, and um, that is driving up valuations, I think, uh, in, a, in some sectors of uh, SEO, M&A. Um, and I, I think there's really a lot of... Uh, different areas of M&A and types of M&A that don't necessarily get the spotlight all too often when it comes uh, to what the, I guess, large majority of the SEO community typically sees on a day-to-day basis, whether it's through marketplaces or expired domain lists or uh, other very visible types of M&A. Um, so there's a ton of private deals uh, going on with individual sellers, which is kind of where I live. Uh, I much prefer doing uh, cold outreach, finding investments and in insights on my own. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, not uh, visible for uh, the entire the entire world to see. Um, <laughs> but uh, but typically also, I just I just find better quality sites. I feel like in in those areas that have. Uh, a lot more incremental value uh, that I can go out and create immediately uh, after acquisition. Um, and typically, uh, they're a little bit less sophisticated sellers, and so um, it is uh, easier to um, strike a deal with those folks and uh, make it work out for, for both parties. Um, but yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a big portion, I think, of uh, the large uh, volume of deals uh, is a lot of just private individual sales that really don't get publicized. And then I think the more, uh, I guess, visible area of uh, M&A and SEO is really uh, a lot of these, uh, we'll call them like medium market uh, media holding companies that are buying uh, affiliate websites anywhere from, you know, mid five figures all the way up to low seven figures. Uh, and then you have your behemoth uh, media holding companies like Red Ventures or Dot Dash, uh, and some of the more um, popular ones. And then uh, PE firms are also uh, doing a uh, ton of acquisitions of kind of SEO first assets um, that uh, are uh, really um, uh, there's a lot of deals going on um, for for those guys as well. So. Um, lots of activity in the space, uh, and um, definitely not a, a shortage of uh, sites to go out and, and acquire in, in kind of different digital real estate, whether it is uh, a website or potentially another channel um, or, or type of asset that folks are interested in. Makes sense. So one thing you made me immediately wonder, uh, uh, I'm sure you at least occasionally look at sites like a Flippa or, or what mm-hmm. have you. Obviously, in the you probably have been following in like SaaS markets. There's compression of valuations in the last year or so. Now, real physical real estate is coming down yeah. in terms of that cost. Do you see fluctuation in digital real estate? And I'm sure, like, just willingness to go out and buy might if that like tempers. Maybe that impacts it a little bit, but yeah. Do you ever see ebbs and flows of that, and what has caused that? Certainly, I think uh, most of the time it really just depends on the actual asset as to like how the value is going to fluctuate based on the quality of the asset uh, or the 
broader market trends. Um, so uh, as, as an example, there has been a lot of fluctuation, obviously, over the last you know two to three years in a lot of durable consumer goods markets, right? So um, for uh, folks who are, you know, hold up at home, there's a lot, uh, there's a huge influx of like home gym equipment being really, really popular and three, four Xing in terms of search interest, which has kind of slowly come down uh, over the last, you know, year and a half as folks have gotten back out. And so I think there are, there's a lot of context that you need to consider uh, in the potential macroeconomic environment uh, or just how potentially Google is treating that niche uh, or just how much consumer demand there is and, and what the growth trajectory looks like for that specific category um, as to like what the valuation multiple uh, could potentially be. But really, I kind of see uh, for, I guess, the large majority of like smaller niche website deals, you're typically looking at like a monthly recurring revenue multiple um, of around 30 to 40 X. Uh, but it can be under that for um, some lower quality assets, obviously, that need a lot of work from a links or content perspective. Uh, and then um, certainly can uh, be over that for uh, some really rich sites that have uh, potentially a big community behind them or just are really high quality or in a very, very competitive niche. So that's not just an affiliate site, like it, that could be any kind of site, or is that sure. mostly affiliate sites that you're seeing that range for? Uh, it's definitely mostly affiliate sites that uh, I'm seeing that range for, although there are alternative monetization methods that uh, basically apply the same valuation criteria uh, or approach, let's say. Um, so I would still basically use the same monthly recurring revenue multiple uh, strategy for valuing something that is mostly display ads or um, uh, other kind of common monetization methods among uh, niche websites. Although the valuation methods will differ uh, based on if it is uh, monetized or not. Uh, and I think the transition that you mentioned it earlier of like affiliate site to like affiliate business uh, is um, certainly uh, a big distinction that potentially changes the way that you value it um, in terms of going from something like a monthly recurring revenue multiple to something like an EBITDA multiple where it actually has like legit OPEX cost and people cost associated with it. Could you give an example of like that difference affiliate business? Like what would qualify as that compared to a site? Yeah, absolutely. I uh, uh, really think about an affiliate uh, business as having uh, components of it that are uh, a lot more uh, durable in the long term that basically can you can create a competitive moat around and that are, yeah, a competitive advantage around. Uh, that um, is uh, incredibly hard to replicate, right? Like uh, Credit Karma is an affiliate business uh, or like Bankrate is an affiliate business. Um, But something where you are creating a lot of just info content uh, or uh, affiliate roundups or something like that where you're just monetizing through affiliate programs um, and uh, uh, those types of traditional uh, ways of, of getting traffic and audience, uh, I would categorize more as an affiliate site because it's more easily replicable. Makes sense. So I'm sure you've seen or potentially participated in it, like M&A for SEO. There's two routes. You're buying a business. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard and seen people do it sometimes for links only. Yeah. Do you believe in that practice? Have you done that? How do you think about that? How would you value or consider that 
model, if at all, uh, curious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's something that uh, I've definitely done before um, and uh, am a fan of, I think, in the right context, in the right situations. Um, so I think uh, buying uh, sites purely for uh, a, uh, we'll call it an injection of authority or content or what have you, um, is certainly a, a great strategy for some businesses. So I think uh, you know that could uh, potentially um, look like uh, something like a uh, a site that is a small tool or calculator or something like that that has so you know a few thousand linking root domains that you potentially want to plug into a related site. Um, and kind of redirect or tuck it in uh, to um, drive additional traffic for whatever rankings it has, plus uh, transferring a lot of that uh, authority over to your main monetized property. See that all the time uh, in um, SEO, and it's a, it's a really popular strategy that still works for the most part. I'd say that there uh, are some instances certainly where it can be poorly executed and not work out, um, but have definitely seen that strategy work well um, and then uh, there, I think, are also uh, different uh, investment theses uh, that you may have uh, for buying something that isn't directly, uh, you know, you aren't necessarily directly buying it to be a buy and hold property on your uh, platform and serves potentially as uh, a way to get into a new subtopic, uh, for example, of uh uh, of the main niche or category that you're in. So if you are uh, in, uh, let's say, I'm trying to think of a good example. Oh, uh, HubSpot's a really good example here. They do a ton of acquisitions that basically uh, redirect or help launch them into uh, different subcategories of uh, a lot of their great marketing content that's on their blog. Uh, and I believe they did a uh, acquisition a few years ago of a WordPress site. Um, that had a ton of really good WordPress content, brought all of that over, and they basically went from zero to a pretty significant content inventory around uh, that uh, giant topical area that helped uh, essentially accelerate uh, their inputs uh, in um, that uh, specific subtopic. So I think your investment thesis is really important to crystallize when you're valuing uh, a potential M&A target of why you are acquiring this thing. I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it for not just monetization or, or kind of revenue arbitrage, so to speak, uh, but also for uh, going into additional subcategories or different topics and really accelerating the time opportunity cost of uh, getting into those niches, right? Because, you know, if you build a thousand pieces of content uh, at a certain cost per article, uh, that's going to take a while. So if you can just pay that cost per article on uh, a potential acquisition and accelerate your uh, uh, time to get to uh, scale uh, in terms of traffic and links in that area, I think there's a lot of companies with really healthy balance sheets that are gonna take that bet. Makes sense, Smart, smart practice for sure. So uh, my brief experience in this industry, in this uh, way of doing things is we did used to run an affiliate site and I diverged it from Siege about two years ago. But anyways, like a year before that, we got an offer from a similar media company. And uh, what I an interesting question I'm, I'm, I wonder for what your experience is, is deal structure mm -hmm. of these kinds of things. Our specific offer, I'm a little vague on it. Uh, it, the site was doing quite well in the seven figure range and it got, I believe they did 
fifty percent ish up front, and then kind mm-hmm. of like they two, over two years, I think paid out an earnout essentially. But yeah. I think it was fixed. Maybe it was based on performance of the site, which to me was like a little. I'm like, what? Obviously, you, you vary. It was like, why wouldn't I just hold the site in some ways uh, if it's modeled in some ways like that? But anyways, rambling a little bit. That to say, like, what is obviously if you're a buyer, you want an advantageous deal structure what kind of deal structures do you see or recommend to like further acquirers to de-risk this thing and get cash flow and all that stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think it really depends on the scale of the deal. Typically uh, for a lot of acquisitions that are sub seven figures, most uh, 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 most medium to kind of large companies that are buying up a lot of those assets are just gonna be paying all cash um, upfront. Uh, obviously that's going to be different just based on your situation. And so there, I think there's a lot of different ways to structure a deal to get something done though. Um, so, uh, certainly cash upfront, uh, can be a, a certain percentage, uh, of the deal and is pretty much always going to be at least, uh, you know, a good chunk of, uh, whatever the total price is of, uh, that acquisition. Uh, you mentioned an earnout. That's a really popular way uh, to defer some of those cash payments and also incentivize the team if you're bringing them over uh, in terms of site performance to um, hit potential targets over the next one to two years uh, for additional payouts. Uh, you could also have uh, just basically deferred cash and seller's notes um, that can be paid out uh, over the course of a certain time frame. And then you could obviously take on debt as well. So for a lot of these huge uh, mega deals uh, that are going on uh, in SEO. There's a lot of uh, debt financing that's going on behind the scenes uh, with um, those uh, large companies basically uh, getting uh, having partnerships with obviously very, very reputable financial institutions to back a lot of those investments. So um, probably the most uh, notable one that I was a part of at Red Ventures was the Bankrate deal in 2017. Uh, the total price tag on that was 1.4 billion, uh, and so they had to uh, take wow. on some considerable yeah. debt on that one uh, to get the deal done. Uh, it was actually a public company at the time that they took uh, private. Um, so uh, there is uh, a lot of complexity with a with a deal like that, obviously, and those are those are certainly uh, rarer uh, in uh, our space. Uh, but there's a lot of different ways uh, to make a deal happen, um, and I think. Uh, actually, one of the one of the other uh, components that I'll mention that is quite popular too is if you're bringing over somebody to uh, work on your team who is a part of that acquisition or asset that you're acquiring, which often happens a lot in a lot of founder operator site businesses. So let's say that somebody owns uh, not only a site but really a really popular YouTube channel, where as the personality, like if they get removed from the business, it falls apart. Um, and a lot of the value uh, goes away. Having them retain some equity when they come over to the team can also be a great way to get a deal done. Makes sense. Uh, I think I've seen that. Maybe I, you guys ended up acquiring the site. Someone, <laughs> someone had a sleep site. Uh, maybe I should look at your portfolio. Is that, <laughs> was it, is that kind of the? Is that actually what I'm thinking of here? Uh, no. YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that can certainly be an example um, uh, of one uh, where um, 
that's the case, but uh, I've seen that happen happen a lot, especially when there's like a YouTube channel or you know a big podcast following or something like that, where this like the person is the business, um, and so uh, it's a, it's important for them to stay invested and to bring them over and to get them excited about the long term uh, growth of uh, the the business, and and that can be a good component. So uh, the Red Ventures deal obviously is an outlier, but I, I don't know if you've seen yeah. people in a middle range in leveraging debt. And like one of the things that I'm curious about there, I, I don't know if you have sample size enough to know this, but like obviously in the real estate industry, we have relatively uh, transparent rates that are available. Like mm-hmm. it was 3% or under, now we're like up to 7% 30-year uh, fixed uh, yeah. rates. I'm curious, like if banks look at digital assets and they're like, these are risky. I wonder if that is, I'm curious if that's the perception If that's so like, are you, would you normally need to be paying like 12, 10% interest rates? Yeah. Is there any, yeah. uh, anything there? I think it really just depends on the standing of the business that is uh, taking out um, the, the debt. I think, at least from my personal experience, which uh, all is a very, uh, I guess, narrow view uh, based on um, you know what uh, I've gone through. I think a lot of banks and financial institutions are becoming a lot uh, uh, smarter and, and more savvy about what uh, digital acquisitions are uh, and the risk profile that's associated with them. Um, granted, uh, they're always going to uh, want uh, you know their typical financial statements of last five years, very detailed, everything to make sure uh, that they go through uh, their analysis process to make sure it's it's good debt to take on. Um, but uh, there's also uh, in a lot of those uh, we'll call them debt pitch meetings uh, where uh, you know leadership team is is going to the bank to say hey. We would like you to give us dollars for this acquisition. Um, there are certainly a lot of components of uh, those decks that are related to uh, traffic and like, hey, this is uh, why we believe that this is going to be a stable asset moving forward and not just focusing on uh, profit margins um, or more financial metrics uh, for um, those uh, those types of conversations. So I think um, there's they're certainly becoming more savvy. Uh, and I think the, the risk profile really just depends on kind of the current standing of the business that's asking for the investment. Makes sense. Uh, that's a good segue to one of the questions I was curious about as well. Obviously, in the SEO industry, there's penalties, yeah. uh, major losses in traffic, volatility. What like let's say someone is like seen some recovery, maybe they're not back where they are, but there's a clear history of some kind of like impact. How would that impact some of those valuations you shared? Would you even touch a deal like that? What's your personal philosophy and also what you've seen there? Yeah, personal philosophy, I don't really touch them. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I just, uh, I think it all depends on the context. Uh, uh, obviously, of the the deal, um, uh, it could just kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies personally. Uh, and um, <laughs> obviously, I want to do my due diligence there and, and make sure that I look into the why behind uh, the traffic drop or, or the general volatility. I'd say uh, links issues are way harder to clean up uh, than content or other major technical issues. Uh, but really, your due diligence process has to be uh, really thorough to understand why that volatility is there. Because if uh, you see a major traffic drop, but it's just a technical issue, 
uh, that uh, can be potentially solved uh, through uh, just some engineering work and elbow grease. Like that's obviously something that is going to be a lot more attractive uh, and uh, probably exponentially attractive because like that's an immediate growth lever for you to turn yeah. on uh, right after acquisition. Um, but uh, if it is uh, some like major quality issues that have been caused by some sort of uh, algorithm update or, or kind of repeated uh, volatility after a lot of uh, different, um, you know, major updates, then um, I'm going to be looking at uh, how difficult is this uh, thing going to be clean up, uh, uh, difficult to be uh, cleaned up, um, and uh, is that going to be, you know, worth uh, the investment, obviously. Um, so, yeah, for me, all about the due diligence process. I generally stay away from stuff, though, that has a lot of traffic volatility, even if it does have um, uh, a lot of content issues that could be uh, cleaned up, um, but uh, yeah, for me, um, I'm really just looking for uh, a lot of uh, a lot of assets that I think have good bones to them. Uh, that uh, in my acquisition thesis, I have several tenants uh, to uh, basically uh, back how much growth I think I can achieve in the first you know 12 months, 24 months, 36 months. Makes sense. So let's say you've you've gotten someone to verbally agree to a deal you're moving forward with it with digital assets what does that due diligence process look like once you've kind of got on the same page about that pricing structure yeah um so actually the bulk of my due diligence process happens before the offer stage because i want to make sure that like the price that i offer uh is something that has the context behind uh like the current state of that site or that asset um, and so really, uh, once you reach the offer stage, I'll typically go into a uh, period of exclusivity after signing a letter of intent um, for typically 30 days uh, to basically get deep, full access to like all financial statements outside of what they have already provided, access to Google Analytics, Search Console, and any other kind of meaningful data and reports to essentially just verify all of your assumptions uh, and get all of the legalese and, and paperwork done. Um, so uh, once you enter that period of exclusivity, I typically like it's uh, a lot of window dressing at that point, and you're basically just looking for like any red flags or watchouts that were uh, unexpected or different from what you assumed in a lot of your due diligence. Um, but as for the due diligence process itself, um, uh, I have a, a lot of kind of core components uh, that uh, I'm looking at that honestly, um, a lot of folks in the SEO community have been really forthcoming with sharing, um, uh, especially in the last couple of years. Um, which has been awesome. Just a, a lot of good uh, stimuli out there for just how to value websites, um, which has been which has been great. Um, but uh, really looking at uh, a few things. So one is deep diving on traffic and rankings. Um, so what has been ebbing and flowing over the past 12, 24, 36 months? What are their main keyword buckets? Uh, what are their top pages? Uh, and are they too top heavy uh, potentially in certain areas? So are there certain keywords where you know their top five keywords if they topple on some of those, like the bulk of their traffic is gone uh, and same for, um, you know, top pages. So uh, typically di diversity of traffic uh, is certainly something that uh, I'm looking at there as well as topical mix of, of traffic, right? Um, you know, Google, especially over the last uh, several years, we've seen this uh, shift to topical authority uh, for um, ranking well uh, in a lot of uh, different subcategories. And so making sure that uh, for 
depends on the category and the website that you feel confident about uh, them being deep enough in, in those categories or, or not spread too thin, certainly, uh, across a bunch of different stuff where they're sort of a master of none. Um, but uh, yeah, looking at traffic mix, looking at traffic trends uh, against algorithm updates like we talked about to see uh, what has potentially caused a lot of that stuff. Um, I'll uh, uh, actually give an, an example there around traffic fluctuations. Uh, I was looking at this site uh, last April uh, that um, if you look at just the overall traffic curve for uh, the uh, website, it looks like, uh, which it did, uh, got hit by Medic and then a few other major algorithm updates that were largely in, uh, or meaningfully affected, not largely, um, uh, in those health niches. And that's where a lot of their traffic got hit. Uh, but given like the core focus of the site, that was a lot of like auxiliary content or ancillary content uh, on uh, the site that to me as the business owner didn't really matter if I lost that traffic because it, it really wasn't, wasn't relevant. Yeah, wasn't relevant, wasn't that monetizable. Um, but if you looked at the kind of base uh, of traffic that uh, was the stuff that I cared about uh, and kind of the core business, that was really steady. Uh, over um, the course of the last three, four years of the site. And so that actually gave us a lot more confidence to buy that site, which we ended up buying. Um, and uh, yeah, it's still been uh, steady since. Um, and so I think there's, uh, like I said, context around what areas of the site uh, those um, traffic fluctuations are coming from. So traffic analysis is obviously a big one. Um, and then uh, looking at the competitive landscape trends as well. Uh, so I mentioned um, looking at uh, SERPs earlier and just macro trends of like, are there any uh, SERP features that Google's going to potentially or has already inserted into the landscape that can be huge disruptors uh, for uh, potential traffic to the site? Um, you know, I'll give the I'll give an example in like the personal finance niche. Uh, Google or Google rolls out um, or has rolled out a lot of calculators over the past several years, right? Like a mortgage calculator. So if you're mortgagecalculator.org, like you know your business, <laughs> your your yeah, your entire business just got like annihilated uh, in term from a top line traffic standpoint um, uh, in 2015, 2016 when they rolled out that calculator. Um, but you know that could be an example of potentially you know a site that you buy uh, for. Um, a redirect or tuck-in acquisition where you really just acquire it for the authority to um, uh, drive to towards one of your main uh, websites, obviously. Um, that would be a, a probably more expensive uh, redirect acquisition. Um, but uh, yeah, anyways, I'm looking at the competitive landscape, seeing what Google's doing and what uh, where they're headed um, and see if there's any sort of like big watchouts uh, for potential large drops in traffic over time. Uh, I'm looking at the macro uh, niche and, and category landscape of our search impressions, search impressions growing or falling over time, uh, and um, what is the uh, affiliate landscape or just monetization uh, landscape uh, look like in general. Um, and so, for uh, uh, digging into that, I'm going to be um, seeing like. Uh, is the affiliate landscape uh, very sophisticated at this point, or uh, is uh, it still um, kind of uh, in its infancy stages? Um, so you'll see in a lot of like really competitive uh, aff affiliate niches like CBD or mattresses or, or others like that, uh, that um, it is really a market share land grab uh, 
uh, environment where a lot of these brands are willing to deal custom affiliate deals that are above kind of your base uh, typical base rates that you see in uh, affiliate networks as an example um, and so uh, there is uh, a big um, uh, potential emphasis on business development and actually having like partnerships and relationships uh, with a lot of these brands versus just your kind of out of the box affiliate deals that you might get uh, through just the marketplace on on share sale or impact or, or another one of those guys and so uh, looking at the sophistication of those uh, affiliate landscapes is important there's there are certainly some categories where like the brands just like don't care about the affiliate landscape uh, or or are just uh, uh, and they're just unwilling to budge on like three four percent whatever of uh, commission right and so there's less wiggle room there where maybe you have a longer term thesis on uh, the growth uh, of or the sophistication of that uh, potential niche um, but short term definitely something to take into account into your acquisition thesis um, and then uh, certainly um, for uh, some other uh, you know types of types of niches they're going to be willing to deal a lot more um, and uh, you know there's a there's a lot of value in having um, kind of those deeper relationships with with folks um, but yeah Makes looking sense. at those Competitive landscape trends, um, let's see. Uh, the ability to create a competitive moat um, is important in my opinion. That's not going to be important for everybody, but for the acquisitions that I'm making and the ones that I'm advising on, uh, I really like to see, um, like, is there an opportunity to potentially create something that is really hard to replicate and really differentiated uh, that um, can help you build uh, a lot of, uh, like, branded impression volume and branded notoriety in the space where consumers uh, or businesses or whoever your target audience is are directly seeking you out for that thing and something that uh, your competitors is just going to be, you know, really hard for them to catch up. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, looking for those types of uh, opportunities to really um, uh, drive something that is going to be immensely valuable for that specific uh, landscape or landscape or niche. Um, and so um, definitely looking for some of those opportunities and uh, you'll often find some sites that already have some of those things, uh, which are, are certainly attractive. So um, outside of the competitive landscape trends, there's a few other areas that I like to dig in, uh, content, link analysis, and then monetization analysis. So touched on monetization analysis a little bit. I'll probably cover that in a, in a minute, but hitting on link analysis first, I think this is obviously really important uh, for anyone who is acquiring an SEO first asset. You want to be able to benchmark your overall link authority and uh, just overall link profile versus your competition. Are you uh, at a similar stage of authority as some of the top players uh, in the landscape? What does your link velocity look like versus your competitors? So how fast are you gaining links? And are you outpacing the competition? Uh, or is the competition significantly outpacing you in terms of net new linking root domains per month or quality linking root domains per month, which can certainly inform how you potentially build links in the future if you do acquire that asset. Or it could be a red flag if there's a lot of links dropping off and uh, that curve doesn't look so great. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll also look at topical relevancy distribution of links and really understanding what, how does Google potentially see this site and what they're an authority in. And is that significantly different than the competition? And is that difference a good thing or a bad thing? Are you using Majestic Majestic for that, or what's your tool of choice to do that? Yeah, I like Majestic Topical Trust Flow for a quick analysis on 
topical relevancy distribution. I'll also just do my own analysis based on the uh, sites and pages that those links are coming from and essentially just doing some text analysis to understand the, okay. category, the categories behind those. So uh, looking at that as well as just the pages that they're going into on the site. So if the site covers a myriad of, of different subtopics, then just understanding the percentage of the link portfolio that goes into those different areas and then again, the types of sites that are linking to those and what topics they're talking about, and then layering in stuff like Majestic Topical Trust Flow is a great way to get kind of a topical relevancy distribution of the site to understand if that is a big risk uh, or a potential really big benefit of acquiring that property. And then uh, other link analysis stuff, so anchor text distribution, obviously really uh, uh a really common one for uh, link analysis. Also just going to be looking at signs of blatant, blatant spam and just other red flags in the link profile. And then also just how they're building links. So what are the tactics that they're using? Are they really overweighted uh, on one tactic versus another? Are there some riskier tactics that are making up a larger percentage of their link portfolio that are going to increase the potential risk on that investment? Uh, or are they getting a lot of natural links coming into uh, their link profile uh, that are really solid from relevant publications? So that is a big component of the due diligence is, is understanding kind of the foundation that the site is built on from a link standpoint. Nice. That sounds very comprehensive. Love the kind of thought process to do things like look at link velocity, look at... Um, not just the traffic of the site, but individual URLs in case one or two domino off or even a top few keywords. That is a smart way to make sure you're making a good acquisition for sure. Absolutely. So the, yeah, of the, um, you mentioned in brief while you were uh, talking about um, due diligence and deal structure and valuations. We talked about valuations already, but you said there are a lot of places to like look at that. I think you said that. Yeah. What are your kind of like reference points for understanding that, hey, I'm kind of at market with what the valuation is right now that people should look at? So doing a comparison between, hey, I'm about to offer this. Is that comparable to what I uh, what the market is? Is that what you're kind of? Yeah, asking? sort of. I think you said there are places where you kind of referenced that, mm -hmm. like say 30 to 40x multiple to understand yeah. like this is the going rate for this kind of site. Yep. It, maybe I misunderstood, but yeah. Yeah, no, um, I think marketplaces are a great way to gauge that, especially for those lower to mid-tier niche uh, website acquisitions where a lot of that volume happens. That's honestly where you're going to get a pretty good baseline for uh, what potential multiple there is uh, for the site that you're potentially acquiring. Um, I also, you know, I like to use that as a reference, but... I'm also just very tied to my own process for uh, coming up with a valuation <laughs> that I think is fair uh, because everybody has different risk profiles, right? There are some folks who are going to be super comfortable with acquiring uh, websites or, or other assets where their payback period is significantly longer than potentially my comfort level. Um, and so, you know, if your payback period is two years, three years or whatever to break even, or if you're just getting started out and say, hey, I want to make my money back in six months. That is a perfectly fine acquisition thesis, and it's really all about like what you're super comfortable with, um, and uh, uh, you know, making sure that you're 
you're doing deals that are going to be uh, financially comfortable for you know you and your family and your business because you never want to overstretch yourself. Um, but you know, it just makes sense. Yeah, going going through your own process and and really understanding what's going to be fair for you, uh, and comparing that versus your. Uh, kind of growth plan for the site, which I think has to be part of your acquisition thesis of like, all right, these are the first 50 things that I'm going to do after acquiring this site. And these are the potential uh, impacts of the, of those, those inputs um, that change the uh, enterprise value of the website after acquisition. So there are uh, probably a few, I mean, people can Google like buy a website, sell a website and mm-hmm. see some uh, people doing some decent SEO on that thing. I mean, we mentioned Flip already. I know FEI International is another prominent yep. one. Are there any other marketplaces where, like, typical? I don't know if you see some places just have like inflated numbers. Like, where <laughs> where should people? Yeah, there's always going to be some inflated numbers on pretty much every marketplace, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Empire Flippers is another really popular one. Oh, uh, Investors Club uh, is another really popular one. There's a lot of Facebook groups nowadays uh, where folks are buying and selling uh, niche websites and a lot of other uh, marketplaces. So, and there's even uh, some. Uh, some feeds that are being set up where folks are aggregating a lot of those opportunities uh, as well um, to uh, basically compare and contrast a lot of the the deals going on in those marketplaces. But yeah, plenty of plenty of ones to go out and explore and look at like what certain quality of sites are going for uh, in terms of uh, typically monthly recurring revenue valuations. Makes sense. So. Uh, y- done due diligence you agreed on a deal after you've done due diligence we're we've now learned in this conversation (laughs) which makes sense (laughs) uh in terms of just tactically like the process are there like tools that make this easy i know you can obviously put money into um i'm forgetting the word uh escrow 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 yeah like what are there any like quick tools you recommend or like you probably have your own stuff but yeah how how do people do that like my, my instinct, I haven't actually gone and purchased a website. Amazingly, as an SEO, that's experiences I am. <laughs> yeah, like what? What's the quick uh, TLDR of how do people do that without feeling like they're going to wire their money? It's going to disappear. Yeah, absolutely. So before I get to that, I wanted to hit two other things on due diligence real quick, oh, just sure. to yeah. uh, you know make sure close that yeah we close the loop on that. One is on-site content analysis, doing looking at any major technical issues, and then content quality versus the competition, and seeing is this uh, going to be uh, able to be sustained over time, right? Like, will that content stand the test of time? Uh, or is it, does it need to be significantly overhauled? And then looking at the history of that site, uh, you know, whether it's archive.org or you know, uh, other methods to really understand where it's been. Um, and then uh, I'll also do some pretty significant monetization analysis as well, um, which I sort of touched on with uh, some of the uh, affiliate deals, um, but really like how stable are their revenue streams? How diversified are their revenue streams? Are they getting revenue from affiliate info products, display, uh, other like fixed fee ad placements, things like that? Um, and then I think risk of monetization is really important as part of your acquisition thesis. There are a lot of potential buys out there where they have monetization deals that are based on personal relationships uh, that if that person sells the site, the risk of that uh, of that monetization or that revenue stream going away is pretty high. Uh, and um, 
you know, there's a uh, there's a lot that just needs to be considered um, on on that front uh, as well. Um, and then I mentioned the macro environment, but uh, yeah, just doing some deep monetization analysis um, uh, for current how they're making money as well as stuff that you can immediately turn on. Again, going back to kind of your growth thesis uh, for acquisition um, is a really important aspect of due diligence. And then, uh, you know, if there's any significant monetization deals that you have and they have, um, that's actually a really big, a really big component of a lot of these bigger acquisitions that we've seen in the SEO landscape uh, over the last several years is essentially acquiring direct competition. Um, so I mentioned earlier around the sophistication of the affiliate landscape in certain competitive niches. If you have custom deals uh, with uh, certain brands or just other ways of monetizing that your direct competition don't have, that difference is obviously an immediate you know, growth yeah, lever makes where the deal makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I've seen I've seen commission levels where uh, companies have 10x the commission percentage of the base level affiliate deal, where it's like literally financially irresponsible not to buy your competitors. <laughs> they should, yeah, just go buy <laughs> everybody. For yeah. Sale. yeah, exactly. Um, and so I've uh, heard about that with Amazon, where it's just like <laughs> yeah. a lot of people at scale get better deals. Sometimes it's like, how do I get a better deal from Amazon? And Stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, anyways, just wanted to hit on on those couple of things. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, we process for acquisitions. Yeah, tools that is in your tool set there. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, in terms of prospecting for acquisitions, it's honestly a lot of the basic SEO tools that we use on a daily basis. So uh, I am using tools like Ahrefs or SEMrush to do uh, keyword research to understand who's ranking in a specific landscape uh, and who might be independent or available for sale. There is a uh, report in the Keyword Explorer in Ahrefs called the Traffic Share by Domains Report. Uh, that is a really uh, nifty one for just doing some like quick market share analysis. So if you just throw in a keyword footprint of 100 keywords, 1,000 keywords, whatever, uh, of a landscape that you want to uh, analyze and see who the big players are, you can just throw them in there and then Ahrefs applies their uh, click-through rate curve. And then you can see stack rank, who has the most estimated traffic share in that landscape. So that's a really quick and easy way to get who are the big players in certain landscapes. And also for, you know, really niche keyword categories, like let's say you're just looking at like calculator sites or specific tools or uh, stat, uh, folks who have a lot of stats and facts pages and things like that, you can use tools like that to really get a really easy gauge of who has a lot of content and market share uh, in those areas. So I'll just do a lot of kind of normal keyword research to find acquisition targets. And then uh, I also uh, really like approaching uh, acquisition prospecting from a links perspective too. So really looking, doing honestly a lot of these same approaches to the way that I might prospect for link building and building my lists that way. If you're looking at links that you potentially want uh, for uh, your current website that you're operating and you really like the quality of uh, those pages and the sites uh, that you want links from, 
generally the other sites that are linked out from those pages and, and sites are probably going to be uh, somewhat up your alley as well. Um, and so nice. I like to slow down on link prospecting uh, and really understand, are there any other sites that are in these neighborhoods that are potentially good acquisition targets that uh, you might even uncover some really diamonds in the rough that way because they could be like old as shit uh, and not getting and a ton of radar. off the yeah. radar, not getting a ton of traffic, but uh, are um, really high quality from a links perspective, potentially super old uh, and uh, ripe for a lot of optimization. So, do you, did you ever use uh, Citation Labs had this like broken link finder or something like that? Yeah. It's like exactly what you described. I think I think everyone used it to death. Yeah, right. I've I've used that before certainly, um, and then uh, yeah, I'll just use uh, tools like Scrapebox and uh, a few others to potentially just get large lists of external links pointing out from pages that are in my outreach prospect lists, and then essentially just mine through those, grab some stats on them, and see what looks interesting. Nice. Yeah. So if you're if you're buying a site and just like literal process do you have your own yeah. contract or other tools that make that seamless are you like so there's a lot of marketplaces that are going to, if you're going that route to sell your website or buy your website are going to handle all of that stuff for you um and so you know a site like flippa obviously is going to handle all that stuff for you investors club i think i've, I've sold one website through there uh and um their process is really smooth and handled they handle the entire transition and all the paperwork and things like that but if you're just approaching it uh, individually, uh, I would just recommend, uh, like, obviously, not financial advice, not legal advice, uh, just hiring, <laughs> uh, you know, hiring a, a lawyer, you know, some service to help you get an asset purchase agreement um, spun up. Uh, and I kind of have like a, a default template that I go off of uh, for each of uh, my deals that I customize just based on what the site is and um you know what the purchase price is, but pretty much all of my stipulations or legalese uh, in that asset purchase agreement is going to be pretty consistent uh, between acquisitions, and so I'll just adjust it slightly for the buyer. And like I said, a lot of the deals that I'm doing are going to be just me and another individual, and so there's really not a ton of uh, complexity to those deals. When you get, I think, into the you know, larger six, seven, eight, nine figures, obviously there's going to be a lot more complexity and, you know, lawyers and uh, financial Due teams need to get involved. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to, to redline everything. And oftentimes there's a, a lot of back and forth for, you know, this needs to be in the deal or this needs to be struck from the agreement and things like that. So it'll take some time for a lot of those big deals to get done. Uh, I've seen it uh, certainly take uh, several months um, for uh, a lot of the paperwork to get ironed out for a lot of those big guys. For those marketplaces, is there an average take rate? Like what is their like cut off the top typically? So for the bespoke marketplaces like Investors Club, I think they're 5% of the deal value. Um, and so if you, if it's your first time selling a website, I think it's a pretty decent deal to like make sure everything gets done properly it's all white glove they do the transition for you um so i think nice. uh yeah it's it's not pretty, bad. Yeah. pretty standard um yeah not bad at all got it nice well this has been great mike yeah anything we did not touch on or i maybe brushed over too quickly in this process that you'd suggest people take forward um let's see 
don't think so. Uh, M&A and SEO is uh, really, really interesting. Like I said, there's a ton of deals going on where if you just kind of lift your head up and, and look at the sites that are passing hands really, really often, um, there is just a, uh, a lot of really interesting insights to gain around what people, what larger companies broader strategy is in terms of uh, gaining market share in specific categories or just like what their what their growth plans are and a lot of stuff to learn I think for maybe smaller website owners and understanding what are some of the ways that you can create a competitive moat uh, for your site or a site that you're potentially looking at acquiring or even what those things are uh, to um, look for in potential acquisitions to add to your portfolio. There's also a lot of different types of uh, acquisitions that are going on outside of just websites. So I've seen even more recently folks just acquiring stuff like YouTube channels or podcasts or Twitter lists uh, or whatever else. So there's uh, and then building sites and other properties, uh, you know, around around those communities or around uh, those assets, which are certainly things that uh, maybe compared to your uh, really basic uh, affiliate website are uh, going to be ones that, that really stand out. Um, and so I think um, there's a, a ton of interesting stuff in, in M&A, a lot of deals going on, but it's, it's really exciting and uh, a lot of fun to work on. Um, of building, yeah, your, I bet. building your investment, sounds... building your investment thesis uh, for you know what's a good bet and what's a bad bet. So I did think of one more question for you as you're talking about that. Yeah. Um, so, so say you're a seller of a website, you've got like say a decent website, maybe it's valued in the six figure range. Like, what would your process be to maximize the, the sale price of that asset? If that makes sense. Like, what would your go to market be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think. Certainly all depends on context, but I'm going to try and clean up as many potential red flag issues as possible that could, that could limit the multiple that I'm going to receive on that asset. So if there are potential like significant content quality issues or link quality issues or something like that, I would want to clean that stuff up first. I also want to make the transition process as simple as possible. So if there's like a lot of like custom uh, plugins or functionality that require um, potentially like a lot of uh, insider knowledge to operate and things like that, I might try and turn some of that stuff over to a lot simpler setup uh, that is really easy to transition uh, to the new seller. And then, uh, certainly, if you want to um, pump uh, your revenue multiple, uh, making sure that you are uh, have kind of all of your monetization channels turned on uh, and um, are doing everything that you can to kind of juice conversion. Uh, or um, a lot of times, if it's, a, if it's a seasonal business, making sure that you're kind of selling right after the peak of the seasonal business because a lot of marketplaces will go off of last six months average or... Um, you know, last 12 months average. So especially if you're at a high watermark for traffic, you want to make sure that you're getting kind of the fairest assessment of uh, your uh, overall average revenue for trailing six or 12. So yeah, basically just trying to make it a very clean uh, transition and, and really attractive opportunity for, for folks. And if that's the case, then I think there's going to be a lot of interested buyers uh, within the first 24 to 48 hours. At least that's been my experience when selling my own properties is, uh, you know, when it can stand out 
versus uh, what else is within that marketplace or uh, wherever you're listing it, um, you can get a deal done pretty quickly. Makes sense. All great tips. And that final point was one I was curious about as well. Is like, are you listing on a marketplace? I don't know if those have like exclusivity or how that wor typically works. Do you have a preference of a marketplace? I, I like more of the private marketplaces. So I mentioned Investors Club where uh, I've sold one of my websites. Uh, Facebook groups are, I think, an another good one to potentially uh, sell some properties. You could obviously list on one of the uh, larger marketplaces uh, like uh, Flippa or Motion Invest is, a, is another one as well uh, that you could potentially list on if you're just getting started out um, and wanting to sell your first website. Uh, really, like I feel like in our position in the SEO community, like when you know you want to sell something, it's like uh, it's a lot easier to go to uh, some of uh, those groups and marketplaces where you know that you're going to find folks who are of the same mind just on the buying side. I think if you have a site that's doing a, uh, a much more significant revenue, like, you know, we'll say a million plus uh, a year, um, that's something that uh, likely is going to be um, facilitated uh, just through uh, either uh, relationships broker. yeah, in their category, broker, something a little bit more significant where you can get more of a large scale private deal done. But for stuff that is, you know, sub 100k or something like that their marketplaces are a decent option to to sell um but yeah for larger deals definitely go definitely go broker more bespoke makes sense well awesome mike uh this has been great i mean people should find you on linkedin you're uh, a private guy so i'm glad you came on <laughs> our content uh, to, to share all this info like if anyone's doing m a definitely reach out to mike be crazy not to but um clean air digital is your uh, consulting business, do SEO, yep. MA, advisory, and uh, workflow system work as well, which all good stuff. But yeah, anything I, I miss here, how, how should people get in touch with you? No, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm not very active there, but if you send me a DM, I will definitely respond. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely more of a, more of a private guy. Uh, but um, yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, whatever, uh, you can... Uh, shoot, me, shoot me an email through my website uh, as well um, and uh, yeah happy to chat nice we'll share all those links in the show notes for sure so you can find Mike and ask him your M&A questions so uh, thanks for coming on Mike yeah thanks for having me Ross thank you for listening to this episode of Content and Conversation please leave us a review and like and subscribe on your podcasting app of choice thanks thanks